bonus So Money episode, Kirk Simpson, co-founder and CEO of Wave Financial. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. This episode is brought to us by Wave Financial at waveapps.com. We were within two weeks of cash out with probably 100 people on staff in 2015. And I knew that I was just going to ride the ship all the way to the bottom if that's what it took. Welcome to So Money, everybody. We are in conversation today with an entrepreneur named Canada's most admired CEO in the growth sector. Kirk Simpson is here. He is the co-founder and CEO of Wave Financial, an accounting software business recently acquired by H&R Block for over 500 million Canadian dollars. But like many founders, Kirk's journey did not come without its fair share of struggles and financial hardships. And today in this climate of economic difficulty and struggle for small businesses, I wanted to bring Kirk on the show to offer lessons and hopefully shed some optimism and insight into what it takes to grow a business all the way to an acquisition. But that's not to say that Kirk's work and his team's work at Way Financial is done. Here's Kirk Simpson. Kirk Simpson, welcome to So Money. It's nice to connect. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. We're going to cover so much ground, hopefully in the next 30 minutes, as someone who is such an intrepid entrepreneur in the financial space. It's so fascinating to learn firsthand from founders about their ideas going into building something that is revolutionary and uh, then to also see it through all the ups and downs to the exit. We're going to get in it. But I, I understand that your journey, Kirk, and this is so I think this is such a great place to start because um, it's an unlikely story of someone who dropped out of college senior year, no less, uh, so close to the finish line to pursue your entrepreneurial hopes and dreams. So take us back to that moment. I think it sounds a little scary (laughs) to be in that moment, but clearly you did it and you had a lot of courage. So tell us about why you decided to leave school. What was the urgency? You could have maybe you know, just graduated and things would have still been okay, right? Yeah, I think I was a big concern to my parents at the time. And actually, the story is a little bit more nuanced in that I dropped out twice. The first time I dropped out, I went traveling to Australia and and, uh, and Fiji and had some, some fun doing that and just finding myself through the process. I then came back and, and uh, after a while, went back to a second university Through that time, I started a business and I actually dropped out because I wanted to run that full time and I was having fun with it and just finding that I learned better by doing than I did uh, in university college. And so, yes, it was a little bit frightening for sure, but it was exciting to, you know, start the business and see if I could get it off the ground while waiting tables to pay the bills. Yes. Did your parents approve? No. Multiple. Neither time <laughs> did they did they necessarily approve. Well, I guess everything worked out. How did you support yourself? You talked about waiting tables, but in those early years of starting a company, what, what, how did you make ends meet? 
So I, I will get to that in a second, but you know, your your question just made me think that you know now full circle. I have three children myself, and it's kind of an ironic situation where I'm hoping they go to college, university, and finish it, and yet I'm not a very good role model for them of of that fact, and so it, it it's coming to haunt me a little bit now that I've got to deal with it on the other side of it. Um, at the time I was really, yeah, waiting tables and, uh, and actually in hindsight, you know, being a server is first of all, a great way to have cash in your pocket and meet interesting other people, but also a really good job to hone your skills of, uh, making connections with people and, you know, being fast on your feet. And so, I actually really enjoyed it. In fact, I met my wife at the restaurant and uh, a lot of my good friends are those that I met during that time because it's just a very formative stage of life and, and meeting other great people who are in the industry. It's absolutely true. I had a, a serving job in high school and college and one, yes, great way to make money. Tips are always great. Yeah. But there is something about showing up to someone's table and having no idea what's going to happen. Yes. Could they be a welcoming party? Could they be not so, you know, lovely? I one time spilled a, a vanilla shake on a, a, a lady who would have been fine with it, except her husband was like, I need to speak to the manager. And <laughs> I'm going to send you my dry cleaning bill. I guess he was, I, I deserved it, but it was like, those are some humbling moments. Exactly right. And it's a good thing it wasn't chocolate. <laughs> right. I always look at the bright side. I'm like, well, it was vanilla. That's right. Sp sticking with the money stuff, back then, did you make any big mistakes related to maybe your own personal budgeting or money that you threw into the business? Uh, were there things that you wish you had known would have helped you avoid some of those pricier, costlier mistakes? Yeah, I think I learned the the classical story that many entrepreneurs learn, which is, you know, I came out of, so we started an adventure webcasting business in 1998, which was, you know, both ahead of its time and also just poorly run because we didn't know what we were doing. But, you know, through that process, I came out of it about $40,000 in debt. Um, what is I, adventure webcasting? Is that, is it known as something different today? No, I, I would just say it was uh, taking adventure races, mountain bike races, things like the Eco Challenge and that kind of stuff and attempting to broadcast them through the Internet. And, you know, it just wasn't at a stage then in terms of, uh, you know, website speeds and, and dial up and that kind of stuff that allowed enough people to watch it that way. But we were doing some really interesting things that have now become commonplace but as I said, also making some mistakes along the way, having never done this before. And so part of that was me putting about $40,000 into the business. And when it went bankrupt in 2000, you know, first of all, I had dropped out of university and, and college, like we discussed, I was now $40,000 in debt. I really didn't know where I was going to land because as an entrepreneur, you have to do many different things and probably none of them, you know, all that well, because you're getting pulled in multiple directions. So I think the greatest sort of financial success that I had early on was learning how to pay that off. And it was a really important lesson. First of all, it was a feeling of accomplishment when I did finally pay it off and of freedom. And secondly, 
you know, teaches you a lot through the process about how you need to be on top of those things so that I had the free cash flow to be able to pay off this loan. How did you pay it off? Month by month, consistently over several years. I had a line of credit. I don't know how I got one. I certainly didn't come from a family that that could afford to sort of write off my entrepreneurial debt. And so you just got to, I mean, similar to many people who are paying off student loans, you know, how do you pay it off? You pay it off month by month and you try and make good financial decisions that allows you to pay it off as quickly as possible. You seem to be built for this world though. Entrepreneurship, you you cannot have a, a, a weak stomach for it. And you're somebody who obviously you just talked about the bankruptcy and the debt, and yet you went back. <laughs> Why? What is it about you that makes you so into this? Because I, I think for some people, they would have been like, okay, I'm going to go back and finish those couple courses that I should have <laughs> and get the degree and get the job. And this was fun, but wow. Okay. I, I think a couple of things, you know, come to me from the question you're asking. I mean, number one is still to this day, I have a bit of a chip on my shoulder that I didn't finish college. Uh, when I'm filling out uh, forms online for whatever reason, and I've got to pull down that my highest level of education is is high school, I still feel a little bit of dread that I wish I had have finished. So, you know, all of us have these kinds of regrets and, and it's kind of what we do with it. You know, I do think you have to be a little bit crazy to want to be an entrepreneur. It It is incredibly uh, all-consuming, but there's an incredible rush that comes along with it. And I think the biggest thing that as I look back on my wave journey, you know, we started in 2009, got serious about it in 2010. And in fact, my wife was pregnant with our third child at the time. And she was a equal breadwinner who was about to go off on mat leave. And so in some ways she's, you know, just as big a risk taker as I am. And, and I'll always, you know, thank her for going along on the journey with me. What was your so money moment? I mean, so we've talked a lot about the struggles and the appetite for risk that you have, which hasn't always paid off, but we'll get to, we'll get, you know, like obviously the the story works out because that's why you're here. But what was one of your first so money moments, perhaps after, I mean, obviously paying down the debt is huge, but beyond that, was there a moment where you were like, ah, yes, this is why I'm doing this. This is the payoff. Well, I would say, I forget what year it was, 2017, we were doing a fundraise and and tech companies these days can sometimes when the company's growing well and you're raising money, you can um, take a little, sell a few of your shares through the process uh, in order to give yourself a little bit of liquidity and in 2017, that was huge for me and my family. Oftentimes in a, in a startup, you're obviously taking lower wages and, and you're sacrificing a lot through the process. We had gotten to a place as a family where we just couldn't handle, you know, both of us working in terms of our schedules and that kind of stuff. So the ability to, to get some liquidity from Wave in 2017 was an absolute game changer for my family. Gives you, it bought you flexibility, more control over your time. That's invaluable. And and just, you know, quite frankly, if I were to sum it up, a little bit less stress at home because we could yeah. make some financial decisions that were that removed some pressure. We're going to talk about Wave in just a second. And I want to learn more about just the impact that it's making in the marketplace. But 
Not too long ago in 2019, before COVID hit, you were named Canada's most admired CEO in the growth sector. Congrats. And that was actually the same year that Way Financial was acquired by H&R Block for over 500 million Canadian dollars. I have to ask though, and I've been talking to a number of CEOs of large conglomerates, multinationals, and small companies, always this question. Do you think that you have had to change in the last year, like your leadership style. Would you call it still the best, most admired? You know, um, how has it been personally steering a company like Wave during this weird and unprecedented year? Well, so the first thing is is that you know the the individual honor was obviously really really nice. The same year we won, you know, best corporate culture. And in some ways, that one means a heck of a lot more to me than than the individual award. I think, you know, even when I was acknowledging the award, the only reason that I was there was because of an amazing team at Wave that helped us achieve something, you know, remarkable. And so much of it was about, you know, that team and what they brought to, to work every day. And so... I just want to acknowledge that you know, every entrepreneur will tell you it's about the team that you can surround yourself with and, and how you can lock arms and do something amazing together. I think that culture has continued at Wave uh, post-acquisition. I mean, obviously, things change a little bit. You know, there, there is a certain mindset at a startup that you're, you know, trying to change the world, that everybody's an owner, and you've got to acknowledge that that changes a bit. That said, H&R Block, you know, bought us for a reason. They've allowed us to remain completely independent and really buy into what we're trying to do. And so that customer focus, that opportunity to serve small business owners and make their lives better really continues to resonate through the company and, and continues to allow us to attract amazing people who want to do great work. And so that brings us to what waves advantage competitive holding in the market is, is that you're this outstanding company that provides financial services, software for small businesses. I'll let you elaborate, but along the way, would also love to learn in this past year. And as we, as the, you know, sort of the workplace changes and so many businesses have gone out of business, has, has that posed a challenge for wave or has there, have there been opportunities to um, help keep businesses afloat in, in a time like this. It's, it's a weird, murky time for business at large. And so for a company that is in service of, you know, small business owners, how's it been? But tell us first about, you know, all the exciting things you've got going on at Wave. Yeah, I will get to that because obviously, you know, I'm proud of what we do at Wave and the innovation that we're bringing to market. But you know, your point about small business during the pandemic is one of the most important ones going on in our society in general right now, which is, um, you know, there's been COVID winners and losers, and we've seen that in the market. And, you know, one of the things that I worry about a lot, and I know lots of people do, you know, it's not just us serving small businesses, is our communities and the fabric of our, of our communities will be nowhere near as rich if small businesses, you know, can't survive. And if we go to an Amazon, Walmart, you know, name big box store here model, 
um, like it, it's, it's just not a place where we want to be. And so I think, you know, as I mentioned before, one of the amazing things about the pandemic at Wave has been that all of us are have, you know, redoubled our efforts on really trying to solve, um, you know, pain points for small businesses to make it easier for them to start new ones and for existing ones to thrive. And that feels good during the pandemic because we really recognize and I think more and more people recognize the need for entrepreneurs in our in our society. The other thing that's happened during the pandemic is, you know, consumer demands and consumer habits have completely transformed. We're doing this, you know, obviously virtually, and we all do so much virtually now. We shop online more. We pay our invoices digitally more. All of those things are happening at a rapid, rapid rate. And oftentimes what you see during moments like this is because entrepreneurs are so positively inclined and can see trends and move faster than big businesses, there's been an opportunity for a lot of small business owners to create new businesses, to take advantage of these new trends. So we've seen a huge growth in the number of new business creates in the US. That obviously helps our business. And our goal is to really ensure that those folks can can start and thrive in this new world. And why is Wave so attractive for an H&R block to pay, you know, half a billion Canadian dollars for another opportunity here. I'm giving you to brag about wave, but I really, <laughs> really want to, I want to bring this to the forefront because I think it can be a really great efficient tool for many business owners looking for support in this market. Yeah, I think, I think there's a couple of key things. Number one is most people aren't aware that about 90% plus of all businesses in the US are in this zero to five employee size. And so it's a huge swath of the business population in the US. And yet generally you will find that, you know, they're pretty underserved by software companies, banks, etc. And so at Wave, you know, the number of times during pitch meetings, et cetera, that I would get asked by venture capitalists or others, okay, so you're going to make it, you know, really good in this zero to five market. And then you're going to start to move up market to serve, you know, medium-sized businesses. And we're like, no, we are absolutely staying focused on what some people would call as micro small businesses. We love this space and we think there's a great opportunity to innovate. And so what we what we do is we offer free invoicing and accounting solutions um, so that small businesses can get paid more efficiently and can manage their books through H&R Block. We now integrate right into tax. And one of the important things that we've been working on in the last 12 months is come out with a product called Wave Money that is a small business bank account that is synced with our software. And so imagine a world where a small business owner you know, let's say a photographer or um, a consultant or a web designer or an electrician can invoice their customers, get paid seamlessly, uh, have access to those funds in literally 15 seconds in their Wave Money account, spend on our card, automatically bookkeep it and be ready for tax. Yeah. And the goal there is just make all of this stuff go away so that small business owners can spend time doing what they love, which is running their business, creating podcasts, Mm-hmm. And certainly not any of this back office stuff. Yeah, one stop financial shopping for your Correct. business. Mm-hmm. Correct. 
Wave also began as that small business, a team of eight, I understand, and now over 275 employees, maybe even more at the at the recording of this podcast. And you mentioned you raised funds over $100 million over the years. For someone listening who is maybe that five-person team or 15-person team or one-person team, what's your advice if they want to also follow in your footsteps to scale, raise money? If you had to start wave over again today, would you do it differently? I think I would have, you know, followed along the same model. Uh, I just would have made, you know, better decisions along the way in terms of, you know, whether it be product choices or those kinds of things. But I think broadly, you know, your question is really important, which, you know, touches for me on a couple of key things. Number one is there's a lot of uh, romanticism and, you know, ink in the media spent on, you know, venture backed businesses that are, you know, supposedly, and this is not always the case, although the PR is good, you know, growing at rapid rates and everything looks good and all of those kinds of things. And I think entrepreneurs should really, you know, first of all, know that the truth in those companies is often not as glorious as what the you know, media portrays them to be or what they portray themselves to be. It's a very difficult road. And make sure that you are aligning, you know, the structure of how you are running your business for the outcome that you want to achieve. And so what I mean by that is not every business should be venture backed. Uh, not every entrepreneur should want to raise, you know, lots and lots of money. I mean, the dilution of your ownership that comes from that, the lack of control that you or the control that you lose through the process of doing that is very substantial. In a model like ours, where we were giving away our software for free in order to grow a large community and then monetize through financial services, this was the only route that was possible. But other businesses should really look at this and say, you know, bootstrapping is a very viable and sort of glorious way to run your business. Funding your business through revenue in the early stages, a great way to run your business. And so yeah. I really think it's looking at the, you know, what you're trying to achieve, being realistic about what your outcomes can be, et cetera, and picking the right model for what you're trying to achieve. Right. I blame Shark Tank. <laughs> <laughs> yes, good, well said. <laughs> Which is one of my favorite shows, uh, yeah. but it it does create this sense that in order to uplevel your business, you need investment from someone else, another business yes. or another, you know, an investor or what have you. Can I add into your Shark Tank example? Yeah, please go ahead. Because, because I think you're absolutely right that number one, it glorifies the outside investment. The other thing that it has a tendency to do is glorify that these outside investors are going to add so much to your business and that they know so much about your space and they're going to open so many doors for you and all of those kinds of things. The reality is, you know, only you know your business the way that you know it. Absolutely, you should be looking for, you know, outside mentors and support and forum groups and ways to learn. But don't put too much stock in, you know, somebody else coming from the outside and having all of these ideas, opening all these doors, et cetera. At the end of the day, your job is to open those doors for your business. And yeah. um, oftentimes I think it's 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 really overdramatic how they how they they push that idea that they're going to do so much for the entrepreneur. 
Well, if it's on TV, it has to be dramatic. Otherwise, <laughs> we're not getting ratings. But you brought you touch on an important topic, which is you have to learn. You you know, it's this is like a uh, you're building the plane as you're flying it when you're an entrepreneur. Oftentimes, and for you, what were the the resources that you latched onto, or people, or advisors that gave you the right advice, or gave you a sense of the next step to take? Because um, a lot of times, you know. People think you have to get the MBA, right? Or I have to work in finance. You didn't do that. And yet you have such a, a compass for what to do. And of course, it came with some failures, but ultimately you succeeded. So I have to ask, like, what were some of those invaluable resources or people that you uh, leaned upon? Yeah, I think the, the thing that I most took from my first failed startup was that I really didn't have you know, a network of, of mentors and advisors to call on when I needed help and I needed to run through things. And I realized that kind of the only way that I learn is to, you know, to do it, to, to make some mistakes along the way, but most importantly, to talk to others and try and triangulate for myself what I'm learning from those folks and how I'm going to, to attempt to deploy it you know, within wave. So, you know, I've really focused from my first failed startup to starting wave on how was I going to grow that network? How was I going to meet and, and try and help myself, uh, other people so that they'd be willing to help me when I needed it. Uh, and that, that was hugely, hugely important. Um, and I think, you know, as I look back, I just, I had built up a, an amazing set of people that I could call and ask questions. And where I didn't have those people, I was very, very happy to ask as many people as I knew, can you make introductions here or there? And when I met with those folks, I, I would just say to them, like, I learned through asking questions. I'm going to ask some stupid questions along the way. I need you to have patience with me. And through that process, really, as I said, triangulate what made sense um, in terms of our position and, and how we could move forward with it. It's a great lesson and reminder that people want to help. Yes. I think that there is a uh, there is still this feeling of like, when I have a good idea, I have to keep it to myself and I don't want to share it. That's a big fear. That's a real fear that many entrepreneurs, startup entrepreneurs have. It sounds like you would advise the opposite, which is like share your idea with, with the people who could potentially be very helpful to you. Yeah, I was one of those people in the early days who believed, you know, oh, I can't tell anybody about this idea. And I think you're absolutely right. Our space is competitive. There's others player, other players there. There's, you know, it's the how you implement it and what you're bringing to the idea that is the differentiator, not the idea itself. And so to your point, you know, get as much feedback as you can on it and start doing at the same time. Right. Mm -hmm. Um the, the hardest part of entrepreneurialism, I believe, is just that first step. It's hard to take that first step. And when you do and you get some momentum, things become easier from there. I've had a little bit of experience um, starting a company that is outside of my existing company, like a, like a offshoot of what I do and with found co-founders. And it was so difficult. And I almost equate it to, because I have to laugh or I'll cry. I equate it to you entering a relationship with someone that you love, like you will throw yourself in front of a moving train for this person. 
being the business. But this business does not want to exist. This business mm-hmm. just wants to like light itself on fire. And and so you have to like have this unwavering, unconditional determination and love for this idea that you want to bring to life. And you also need to accept a lot of risk. And so I want to ask about risk because what do you think the right relationship with risk is when you're pursuing an idea, trying to take an idea from idea to an actual product service? How do you view risk in the context of making business choices or, or even just financial choices? I think I have a, uh, a sort of um, love-hate relationship with risk. Um, I honestly, through the process, have attempted you know, not so much with my first startup, which was just pure kind of gamble. But, you know, as I started Wave and, you know, had two kids and a third on the way and just obligations, I needed to be smart about it. And so, you know, as I quit my day job, I set up some consulting, you know, agreements for the first six to nine months so that I could just take that risk and feel good that I wasn't putting, you know, my family in jeopardy. Um, but post that, it it came it came time to make a call. Am I am I all in or not? And I think there you've just got to survey the landscape and say and be honest with yourself. What does this look like? And am I going to be better off or worse off if I if I take this chance? The one thing that I get concerned about when people hear you know our story, I mean we were within two weeks of cash out with probably a hundred people on staff in 2015. And I knew that I was just going to ride the ship all the way to the bottom if that's what it took. But I had done a calculation to know that I was okay to do that. And what I get concerned about is entrepreneurs who, you know, mortgage the house and all of those kinds of things. And I don't believe in that. I believe in taking calculated risks and ensuring that you know, you're not putting your family and your marriage and your, you know, whatever on the line in order to to take a gamble. You got to be calculated about it and really survey the landscape, trust your intuition and say, is this really the right move? And make sure that you're, that you're, that again, you're really calculated about it. Yeah. Can I afford this is always a good question to be asking yourself. And that's not necessarily a math question, but exactly. can you afford losing a relationship over this because, you know, people will be patient with you, but not that patient. Exactly. In 2015 (laughs) was the only time my wife looked at me and said, have we had enough? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. It reminds me of like Michelle and Barack Obama's story of like, Michelle really didn't want him to run for office and all of that. And, you know, being really honest, but I guess, I don't know, everyone's got their own personal journey. It worked out for them too. I'd well, say. I was going to say, listen, any anytime I can remind Bet you of Barack. Barack and Michelle Obama, yeah. it's been a Bet very good Obamas. day. They're yeah. good for it. Yes. What's next for you, Kirk? This is so exciting. You know, I'm I'm uh, I'm very much focused on on what we're trying to do, and and as I said during the pandemic, it's only sort of redoubled our our desire to help small businesses. We're on a good path. I work with amazing people. I'm super fortunate. And, uh, and we just want to bring that vision to life that we always knew was possible. We're not there yet. We look at the product and say to ourselves, man, there's all these things that we need to be doing better in order to make it easier for small businesses. So we're, we're super focused on that. That is something to be acquired 
And yet the work is still not done. It's, it's a true testament to your dedication to this. And we're so happy that we got a chance to spend some time with you. It was my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks so much to Kirk for joining us. Check out waveapps.com to learn more about Wave Financial. See you back here on Friday for Ask Farnoosh. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs> 